0: Hello, Pete.
1: Oh my gosh. Hello, Jennifer Waldman. We did it. 200 episodes of the long and the short of it.
0: Woohoo. Episode Congratulations. 200. Congratulations to you, too. Can you believe it?
1: Not really. It's like, you know, we were saying just before we recorded on one hand, it feels like episode two, and on one hand, it feels like episode 200,000. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's so true, but I have to say it's been a very enjoyable journey this far. I'm looking forward to the next 200 episodes.
1: Me too, me too. Another 200. There's a fun little benchmark. So I guess for this episode, we shared in the lead up that we are going to do an AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything, but there's two of us, so I guess it's an Ask Us Anything.
0: An A-U-A.
1: An AUA. We probably should have just called it an AUA. <laughs> right. Alas, here we are. And our generous, amazing, wonderful listeners. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in once again. Many of you have submitted some great, great, great questions. We have so many, and we're going to do our best to get through as many as possible. So, Jen, if you'd like to do the honors for the 200th time.
0: This is the long and the short of it. Before we dig into these questions, Pete, Mm -hmm. I want to say that our listeners are so freaking brilliant. We got such (laughs) juicy questions. So before we hit record... Pete and I, we went through the questions and we pulled out the ones that are going to become their own episode because there were so many juicy questions. We were like, hmm, can't answer that one in two minutes, but could definitely spend 20 on that. (laughs) So if you don't hear your question answered today, it's very likely that it will show up as its own special episode in the future.
1: Yes. So thank you, everyone who submitted questions. And I guess we're just going to pick one by one. We're going to ping pong back and forward. We'll do our best to answer as succinctly as possible and hopefully add some insight into some of these great questions.
0: Ooh, one more thing. We've prepared nothing. We did Absolutely. a very quick scan of the questions, literally five minutes before we hit record. This is all improv, baby.
1: Which is, it's the long and the short of it. That's what we do. We've never (laughs) prepared anything for 200 episodes. Why start now?
0: Okay. So, Pete, here is a question from Jasper. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you changed one of your deeply held beliefs, perhaps even one you'd consider core to your identity, and what was it? Oof,
1: just kicking off with a nice, light, right? easy
0: question.
1: <laughs> okay, in the interest of time, I'm going with the first thing that comes to my head when I answer these questions. So, the first thing that comes to my head, this is a great question, is I guess most recently it's probably to do with marriage, funnily enough. So, uh huh. I guess I would have told you five years ago, four years ago even, maybe even three years ago, that I didn't necessarily see marriage in my future as something that I would get excited about or feel the need to do, to be wed. And yet, I stand before you, I sit before you <laughs> with a ring on my finger and an unbelievable wife, Tracy, who is now Tracy Shepherd, And it's been one of the best changes of my mind slash revisiting of my beliefs that I could possibly fathom. So, I guess mm. that's the most recent and the most beautiful example of One time that I've recently changed my beliefs. What about you, Jen? When have you changed your most deeply held beliefs?
0: This one I'm finding very challenging. I guess it's because of the pandemic that I had to challenge this deeply held belief, but I really felt to my core that I could never live anywhere other than the greatest city in the world, New York City. And Mm -hmm. then during the pandemic, I ended up living on a remote island in Massachusetts. And recently, my daughter has informed me that when she grows up, she's going to be moving to California. So who knows? Who, Who knows? I am no longer going to solely see myself living in New York City. Instead, maybe I'll be like, A woman of many states. Oh, I
1: love it. Or countries.
0: Come to Australia.
1: (laughs) That actually ping-pongs to another question from one of our listeners slash my wife, Tracy. Thank you for submitting (laughs) this question. Tracy would like to know, maybe she's asking a question that she hasn't asked me that she wants me to answer on a podcast. If you could live anywhere in the world, Jen, for one year, where would it be?
0: Well, funny enough, I love this question, and I can envision myself living many places for one year, contrary to the answer I just gave. But if I could live anywhere for one year, it's not necessarily that adventurous, but I really deeply, deeply want this, and I know my husband does too. I would go live in London for a year. Mm,
1: mm, Nice. Yeah, I could definitely see you in London, especially with that great British accent that you've got.
0: (laughs) Stop it. I'll have to
1: put a link to the outtakes in our box of goodies somewhere. There's an outtake of you doing a British accent. I'm going to pop that in the box of goodies.
0: Okay, wait, just sidebar. (laughs) When I was an actor, I had a really good British dialect, which I had like Mm. trained to Mm. do. And now it sounds more like I'm making fun of it. (laughs) What has happened to me?
1: Not sure. Things change, I guess. Okay, I'd be in a similar area, which is fun. I think that, I mean, like you said, I think I could almost live anywhere for a year, but I would go with my, I guess, probably recency bias. I would live in Italy for a year in a heartbeat and eat all of the pasta and pizza and gelato and enjoy trying to communicate in my broken, very broken, awful Italian And just soaking up the sun and the Tuscan hills. And, oh, I love Italy so much. So I would go and live in Tuscany in a heartbeat for a year.
0: Love that. I will be coming to visit you there. Okay, we've got a question from Mickey. Oh, P.S. Mickey has, I think, found our podcast in recent months and has been so communicative and wonderful and generous and has provided a lot of feedback and has shared a lot of episodes. So thanks, Mickey, and thanks for this question.
1: Mickey gave us a shout-out on the Akimbo podcast, so thanks,
0: Mickey. Yeah, let's drop that in the box of goodies so everyone can hear it. Thanks, Mm, Mickey, mm, for that. mm. Okay, here's Mickey's question. Dropping the ums. This is something myself and others in my business struggle with, and you two are phenomenal about it. How did you train yourselves so well? I'm considering handing others an electric shock to zap me every time I do it, but that might be a bit extreme. (laughs)
1: I don't think you need the electric shock, but I think that you need the discomfort of silence. Yep. I think that I'm sure I learned this from Seth. There's actually a blog post where he writes about this, which I will put in the box. It's going to be a big box of goodies. I'm going to put that in the box. (laughs) It's going to be a big box of goodies. But as far as I recall, Seth's instruction, and I've spoken to him about this, is basically to replace um with silence and that- the reason we say um or ah uh, is usually because we're trying to think. So, we're filling in the silence while we're trying to think. And so, the alternative is to think in silence, which isn't as uncomfortable as getting an electric shock, I imagine, but it is for many people quite uncomfortable to sit in silence. So, part of that, I think, is practicing slowing down and sitting in silence. And once you've kind of gotten your head around that, then I think it's just the boring answer of getting as many reps in as possible. I think having a podcast where you record an impromptu conversation and are required to think on the spot 200 times (laughs) is a big contributor as to why we perhaps sound like we are, I think you very generously said we're phenomenal at it, but why we're okay at not saying um, I think it's because we practice all the time. What do you think?
0: Everything you just said, I have nothing to add. That pretty much summed it up, slow down and silence.
1: I was just, you see what I did there? I was adding some silence. I didn't want to say, um. It was. <laughs> okay, so this one's from Anonymous. So Anonymous asks, in a parallel universe where you never met, what do you think would be different about your lives now?
0: Oh. Wild. I don't like that parallel universe. <laughs> no, me neither, me neither, me neither. Oh my gosh. It's so hard to imagine because I don't know that we talk about this that much on the show, but Pete and I started out as people doing a podcast together. And over the course of, how was it, four years at this point? Yeah. We've become like... The best of friends. We're very, very close. We know everything. We tell each other everything. I think my daughter even considers Pete like part of the family. So I uh-huh. can't even really imagine the life path. Mm. I'm sure I would have a different friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they may or may not be Australian.
0: Right. And someone else, I'd be collaborating on something with someone, but I, Gosh, I'm very resistant to answering this question, and that's my answer
1: <laughs> yeah, it's wild to think about because so much of the life that I live now and the work that I do now, I can draw pretty straight line back to the moment that you and I met in some way, yeah, like there's a connective tissue between that moment where we met in alt and almost everything that I do now because you. I don't even know if I've ever said this on the podcast. You were the reason in the end that I had the confidence to start my own business mm-hmm. as opposed to coaching on the side of working in a full-time job, which is what I did when I first met you. And at some point, you gave me enough nudges and introduced me to some people very generously who ultimately ended up becoming clients. And that kind of kick-started four years ago, my transition from doing a little bit of coaching on the side to I have a business now and coaching is one service that I offer. So, that is like literally part of every day. So, to imagine you and I not meeting and for us to not have that conversation, I don't know. I guess I'd be perhaps working in a company still and as a result, potentially quite unhappy. And yeah, it's – I don't know. It's wild to think about and a little sad.
0: It really is. I know. I'm like – I'd be miserable and sad because I hadn't (laughs) met Pete. (laughs) That's the parallel universe. (laughs) Okay. Well, we didn't quite answer that one, but that's as good as that one's going to get. Okay. How about this one from Reen? I'd love to hear your definition of meta. It's entered my vocabulary through listening to you two and whilst I looked it up in various dictionaries, none of them seem to fit the context of the long and the short of it. (laughs) Okay, Pete, so when we say something's meta, what do you mean?
1: It's so funny because I was about to say, I don't know if I – perhaps I'm not using it correctly. And then in his question, he said that he referred to a dictionary, which makes me think I'm definitely not using it correctly. However – The easiest way that my brain thinks about meta is the movie Inception. And so, in the movie Inception, there is this concept of having a dream within a dream within a dream, I think it is. So, it's like you're experiencing the thing that you're experiencing within the thing itself, if that makes sense. Yes. And so, that is how I think about meta. So, if we are having a conversation about what it might be like to do an AMA episode as part of an AMA episode… To me, I would be like, that's kind of meta because it's relevant to the thing that we're actually doing. Does that make any sense?
0: Yes. Okay. And you actually used the words that I would use to describe what I think we mean when we say meta, which is the thing itself. Right. It's in and of itself. Yeah. Self-referential.
1: Oh, I like that. Self-referential. And I'm glad to hear that it's eking its way out into our listeners' vocab as well.
0: (laughs) It's funny, we started saying meta at some point, like we never said it and then we started saying meta and now we have never stopped. So, (laughs) there we go. it comes up every
1: episode, yeah. (laughs) Okay, I have one here that I want to hear your answer to because I feel like it'll be brilliant. So, this comes from Stephanie and the question is, you both talk about being a creative in air quotes and speaking to creatives in air quotes and I'm curious, how do you even define a creative? How does that term show up? So, Jen, how do you think about, how do you define creative?
0: First, I want to define air quotes.
1: (laughs) Wait, are they they not a thing? Which
0: you would need to do with your fingers. (laughs) But in this case, the quotes are are on the page, so they're not air quotes.
1: (laughs) Right, all right, all right. (laughs) The literal quotes.
0: Oh, my gosh, that made me laugh. When we talk about being a creative, I think it's easier to start with what we're not talking about. We are not talking about people who are creative because I think we both inherently believe that everybody has creativity. But what we are talking about is a person who identifies themselves by their creativity, by the things that they create, or by the fact that people pay them to make things.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: And sometimes those things are tangible and sometimes those things are ideas, but that they are a person whose creativity is baked into their sense of identity.
1: Hmm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I would add, I think of creativity in the same way that I think of leadership in that it is an active choice available to everyone that you can choose to be a leader just as you can choose to be a creative. It doesn't require, I don't think, a genetic predisposition to anything. I think it's a skill, I guess is what I'm saying, that one can hone and get better at and choose to hone and get better at. And like you said, choose to then identify with. It doesn't mean that you have to, it doesn't mean that you will, but I think it's available to you. And you know, in the same way that within a company, there are people in leadership positions that might not consider themselves leaders. I think there's probably people in creative positions that maybe Mm -hmm. don't consider themselves creatives. And then the inverse is true. I think there's people who aren't in leadership positions who are definitely leaders and people who are maybe not in traditionally creative roles, like being a business manager, who are in fact really creative. So, I don't know. I I guess I add to your distinction that i think creativity like leadership is a choice and something that can be practiced and honed as a skill.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And i think when i say working with creatives on this podcast, i'm typically referencing my clients who that is what they do for a living is mm. they do quote creative work. They are actors, writers, directors, musicians, people whose work falls under a creative umbrella. And to Pete's point, I also have some clients who I coach on speaking and such who don't necessarily identify as, quote, a creative, but they're coming mm-hmm. to me to work on creativity.
1: Mm. I like that.
0: Okay, okay, here's a question from Laura. Let's just say you've had a few weeks off for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. You've returned to work for yourself. Okay, so this person is self-employed. And this work is something you were super passionate about before you left for vacation. But now the spark has gone. How do you motivate yourself to get it back? Well, Pete, you just got back from multiple weeks of vacation, so maybe you're the best person to answer this.
1: I feel a little called out by this question, (laughs) (laughs) especially when I think about, you know, I've been back from our trip for three weeks and three weeks ago, you and I sat down to try and record a podcast and it was a total mess because Uh I didn't, I don't think I had the spark. (laughs) So, this feels very relevant to me at the moment. And... I guess I would go to this idea of motivation and how I just think motivation is such a fickle concept. Like if we sit around and Mm -hmm. wait till we're motivated to do something, we'll be sitting around and waiting for a long time, I think. We'll be procrastinating for a long time, waiting for motivation to happen. In the same way that, you know, people talk a lot about flow state as being that really profound moment where you lose track of time because you're so encapsulated by and present with the project you're working on and you reach this state of flow. And I think if we sit around and wait for flow, we'll be sitting around and waiting forever because I don't think it's something that comes before the act itself. So, all of that to say, I think we get motivation. We reach a state of flow by starting, which is such an unsexy answer. I recognize, Laura, and I'm Mm. like dealing with this myself. We eventually got back into a groove of recording podcasts by starting and recording podcasts. The first two of which we said, they were terrible. Let's throw them on the cutting room floor and try again. And so we didn't sit around and I said, Jen, now I'm feeling motivated. Now we can record. We found the motivation and the groove and the flow by starting. So Mm -hmm. I think it's this, it's this like unsexy answer, Laura, which is to show up and do the work and then the momentum and the motivation and the flow will come. At least that's been my experience.
0: I think that's such a wise answer. The only thing I would add is that when we have these, amazing experiences of going somewhere and experiencing something new, a new culture, a new idea, a new learning. I find for myself what's hard about coming back is I don't know yet if there's room for the new version Mm. of me with all Mm. of this new experience in the way I left my work. Yeah. So it's like, how do I bring these new ideas? How do I make room for the new questions, or in some cases, new priorities. Sometimes right. you leave work for a little while and you're like, "Wow, well, my priorities are just way out of whack. Yeah, so, or you come back married. <laughs> right, or in your case, you come back married. So <laughs> it's making room for the n- new information mm. in the work.
1: Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. So we're entering unknown territory for us in that <laughs> We're going to record this episode for a little longer than our usual 20-minute time constraint. So, shall we keep going?
0: We shall. Okay, Pete. Here's a question from Jackie. Congratulations on 200. Thank you, Jackie. How do you stay inspired for new content week after week? Each episode is so unique. How do you do that?
1: Wow. I mean, thank you, first and foremost, Jackie. It's so... It's quite nice to see that reflected back because honestly, mm-hmm. Jackie, being in it, it feels like I haven't come up with a new idea for a podcast for 145 I episodes. completely agree with you. Isn't that wild? <laughs> to hear yes. that you think that each week is so different is so nice because that is what we hope. But my feeling in it is like, I'm sure we've had this conversation 148 other times. Yep. <laughs> Which I realize doesn't quite answer your question. I guess how do we stay inspired for new content week after week? How do we come up with new content week after week? You know, we have a usually I would say we have a twenty to thirty minute catch up before each time we record where we check in on so what's been happening in your week? What projects are you working on? What conversations have you had? Oh, a client said this thing, I'm reading this book. And then I think for me, often through that conversation of almost Mm -hmm. reflecting on what's happened over the last week, I'll realize. Oh, yeah, that thing did happen this week. We could probably turn that into an episode. But, and it's a big but, usually, Jackie, we have this hilarious back and forward of, I think I have a quarter of an episode or I have a 20th of an episode. Let's see if we can turn it into a full one. You know, like I have a quote that I read in a book. Maybe we could turn it into an episode. So, it often starts as this tiny little seed and we basically, over the course of a conversation, we try and turn it into a sprout or a flower. And, yeah, at times it feels like we're having the same conversation over and over. So, I appreciate this question and that reflection. What do you think?
0: I'm just laughing because there have literally been times where I'll say, um, do you have anything? And you go, I have a word. (laughs) That's so true. (gasps) Oh, my gosh.
1: One word. Yeah.
0: I think Jackie, Pete, and I are both really lucky that we work with a lot of different people. And so often, the conversations that we have prior to recording are about our clients. So we get a lot of inspiration from other people and things that we're watching them unpack and go through and experience. And then, you know, either just as an observer and sometimes as a coach, it's like, ooh, that feels kind of juicy.
1: Yeah, I think the only other thing I would add to it is I, you know, we mentioned Seth Godin a lot. I've learned so much from him. I consider him a mentor. And one of the things that he's spoken about, about his blog, so he writes a daily blog, and mm-hmm. has done so for like, maybe over 20 years or something absurd. It's crazy. And it's like, how do you keep coming up with content, Seth? Like, how is that possible? And he says, I notice things for a living. So, for me, I found that quite a profound lens to look through life of like, yeah. what have I noticed and what have I observed in the last week? Mm -hmm. and just trying to stay open to seeing things that maybe I'm I'm not seeing if I'm not paying attention. So, yeah, that's kind of how we do. But I also, like we've mentioned, feel like we're not coming up with new ideas sometimes. (laughs) Okay, so we have a few more to get through. I feel like we're doing a good job here. We're getting through as many as possible. All right, we have a question from our incredible editor, Jen Sarah Nichols. Can we just give a mm. shout-out to Sarah Nichols? What a legend. Yeah, Sarah. Dealing with our the shenanigans. I, Sarah, I know you edited that episode perfectly, but we realized that it's terrible and we're going to put it in the cutting room floor. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Sorry, Sarah.
1: Sorry, Sarah. It's the most quoted phrase on this whole podcast. Okay. <laughs> Sarah asks, when you realize you've been hiding from something you're afraid of, what strategies do you use to propel yourself toward action? Hi. Love slash hate this question.
0: I know. (laughs) So I'll go first. So that's one of the strategies is like, just go, just go.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: We've talked about this in the past that, uh, Pete, you gave me this great expression, which was run towards the bang. Mm. And I think that was very soon after we met, you said that to me. And I have found myself coming back to that over and over again, that when I feel that pang of fear, that makes me want to turn away. Instead, I go, oh, run toward the bang. So mm. face the fear. The other thing is that I have a saying at my studio, which is, I'm an artist, therefore I choose faith over fear. Mm. And I found it really helpful to recognize that stopping because of fear is a choice And that I have a different choice that I can make. So, the choice I make is faith. Faith in myself, faith in the idea, faith in the project, faith in the collaborator, faith that I'll survive, whatever that might be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I love that answer. And the reason I love-hate this question is, (laughs) on one hand, I find the answer kind of simple, but it's also incredibly difficult at the same time. So, the answer is simple in that, my assertion and you kind of alluded to it then is the thing that separates those that make stuff happen and those that don't could be almost distilled down to the amount of times they were willing to be uncomfortable and face their fear. And Mm. so, in many ways, the answer is simple in that it's like you said, run towards the bang and do the thing you're afraid of. If you just made that your habit, you would go a long, long, long way, I think, in, in whatever field that you're in. If you did the thing that was scary to you, I think you would live quite a fulfilling life. However, that is so difficult to do. It's such an impossible standard to almost hold yourself to because humans get afraid. And when we're afraid, we hide and we retreat and we try and find safety. So, yeah, it's like easy and hard. And I think tactically, what do I do? I think I tell someone and I, mm. I try and put myself on the hook is my answer, Sarah. I, if I recognize that I'm afraid and I'm hiding from something, I will attempt to put myself on the hook to addressing it and I'll do that by either telling Jen or another friend and maybe even in doing so, asking them to check in with me on how I'm going with that thing or giving them a date to say, okay, by this time next week, I'm no longer allowed to be talking about this thing because it's going to be done. So, yeah, I think I attempt Mm. to put myself on the hook is how I would tackle that.
0: Okay, Pete. Well, I feel like... (sighs) This next question from, I want to say anonymous, but actually in the what's your name, (laughs) fill in the blank, the person wrote, absolutely not. So from (laughs) absolutely not, have you ever had your heart broken?
1: I mean, yeah. Well, I'm curious for your answer, but I feel like it would be difficult to reach your 30s and not have had your heart broken in some way, whether that's in the traditional movie context of a romantic heartbreak or whether that's, you know, missing out on a school or a job that you really had your heart set on and that becomes a heartbreak or whether it's you're a fanatical fan of a particular sports team and they lost the big game and that's your heartbreak. I think I would tick all of the above boxes in terms of heartbreaks I've experienced. And perhaps the other one, the one that I find really difficult is the heartbreak of your own doing in the sense mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. maybe if you tie back to the question that Sarah asked, maybe I hid from something from so long and told myself a story to avoid doing something difficult, whether it be ending a relationship or having a tough conversation or you know submitting a project, and I told myself or justified inaction. And then something happened that would either end that project or end that relationship or end that particular application. And the heartbreak for me has been realizing that I was hiding the whole time.
0: Mm.
1: I think that's the like, that's the through line in all of the heartbreak, except for when a sports team loses. Cause like I have no control over that. For me, it's like the heartbreak of lying to yourself is <sighs> quite messy. So yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've experienced that plenty of times. What about you, Jen?
0: I mean, if it's impossible to get to your 30s without <laughs> experiencing heartbreak, it's impossible to get to 47 without experiencing heartbreak. I mean, yes, all kinds of heartbreak. Um, some that are very easy to recover from, and some that, mm-hmm. I, you know, all these years later, I still think about from time to time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's of course in the romantic sense, but also to your point, in so many different ways, performances that, I gave that I didn't feel particularly proud of where I broke my own heart because I knew Mm. I could do better or experiences that I missed or loved ones that I lost. Mm. Also, Mm. I live in New York City. This city breaks your heart every damn day. (laughs) So yes, that being said, I appreciate most of my heartbreaks Mm. because even though they were really... Devastating at the time. Very often, it's brought me closer to someone or given me an aha moment or pushed me forward in a way. So, while I don't wish to relive any of my heartbreaks, I also don't wish to unlive them.
1: Yeah. There's a song that I'm going to put in the box of goodies. And the line I remember hearing about five years ago, and it stuck with me, and that is that beginnings always hide themselves in ends. And mm-hmm. I think that is a, a great way to think about a heartbreak often feels like an end. And so, where's the beginning within that, I think is an interesting thing to look at. Mm. Well, wow, thank you. Absolutely not. That was a, <laughs> that was a deep question. <laughs> All right. There's a couple more. Okay. So, we had the option of asking a question just for one of us. So, there's a question just for you here from Ayana. Ooh. What is one thing about working on Broadway that you think actors would be surprised to know and or should know?
0: What is one thing about working on Broadway that I think actors would be surprised to know? I think actors would be surprised to know that working on Broadway is basically doing community theater with a budget. It is not that different than... all of the other shows you've done. It's just there's a lot more money, so everything gets to feel fancier and Mm. be, quote, better, but it's it's all the same. It's all the same.
1: I love that answer. Isn't that like a great metaphor for so many things in life?
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Okay, Pete, here's one that is just for you, and this is going to be our last question of the moment. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready.
0: When are you visiting the USA?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's almost like you teed this one up deliberately. I am excited to share with our listeners. I am visiting the USA in August. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm going to be in Chicago from the 13th till the 17th of August and New York City from the 17th of August till the 26th of August. So I'm hopefully going to see a bunch of you listening there and I can't wait.
0: Yay. While Pete's in town, we are going to do a live podcast, which we will tell you about as it gets closer. So if you mm-hmm. want to come and be in the room and – Be a part of the long and the short of it live. Uh, You can join us. And listeners, that brings us to the end of the AUA episode, Ask Us Anything. Throughout this time today, we have mentioned the box of goodies multiple times. Mm -hmm. And if you are not yet a subscriber to the box of goodies, this is our weekly email that we send out. It's not like typical show notes where it summarizes what was in the episode. The box of goodies is actually things that Pete and I think of after the episode. Afterthoughts. <laughs> right. It's our afterthoughts. So it's like, Oh, we should have mentioned this Ted talk or this book or this blog. And yep. we've gotten so much great feedback from people who absolutely love getting the box of goodies. So if you're not yet subscribed, Pete, How could they subscribe?
1: Oh, they can head over to thelongandtheshortpodcast.com. There's a little box where you enter your email and then you are set. You'll get an email every single week with a link to the episode, but also to all of these wonderful goodies that we've thought of. And I guess the other thing while we're here is if you have enjoyed one of the last 200 episodes.
0: (laughs) I hope. I hope at least one.
1: Yeah, it would be weird if you're still listening and you hadn't. And if you have, we would love it if you share it with a friend. We have never really talked about like give us a review on Apple or Spotify, but like I guess after 200 episodes, if you want to give us a review on Apple or Spotify, that would be great.
0: Yes, and please, please share an episode that you love with someone who you think would benefit from it. I know you hear it on everybody else's podcast too. Yeah. The best way for people to find the show is for you to share it with them or to review the show. So, thank you in advance for doing that. We appreciate it. Pete, we did it.
1: We did. We did it. And we appreciate that and we appreciate you listeners. Even just tuning in, even listening to us once a week is wild to me that you are willing to dedicate 20 minutes of your <laughs> of your week to listening to Jen and I try and make sense of a word or an idea or a topic or a struggle so I don't know just thank you so much for tuning in thank you Jen for being an amazing co-host and getting me to episode 200
0: oh my gosh thank you Pete thank you listeners we did it we did it friends here we are episode 200 tune in next week for episode 201
1: and that is the long and the short of it